Welcome to Commerce Growth Lab, the community for commerce strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Franco Variano. This season, the podcast focuses on speaking with some of the most interesting and successful trendsetters, entrepreneurs, and leaders in commerce. Together, we'll dive into their unique stories, experience their highs and lows, and gain from their insights and experiences as they continue to shape this industry. If you don't know your place in the market and you're trying to shout at people to come look at your store, come buy your products, unless you're a, a single SKU product where your place in the market is your product, you're just kind of wasting your voice, right? You're going to go hoarse before you bring enough people in for it to make sense. Today, we're speaking with Eli Rubel, an artist and photographer turned software entrepreneur, and now the founder of Mattermade, an e-commerce incubator for emerging brands. Eli started his journey in e-commerce as a means to pursue his passion for motorcycles and outdoor adventure. He acquired his first e-commerce brand, KTM Twins, and immediately grew its revenue by 10x in their first 12 to 14 months. Eli joins us to share his story, how he 10x'd revenues with his first e-commerce business, what motivated him to launch Mattermade, and much more. So let's get started. Hey Eli, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to have you on to get to know a little bit more about you and what you're up to. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? So yeah, I'm originally from Durango, Colorado, a small little mountain town in southwestern corner of the state. I went to art school, studied photography and design, and my entrepreneurial journey has been a very twisty kind of winding one that has taken me from software, starting a software company, to founding a nonprofit, to acquiring an e-commerce motorcycle business to um, starting an e-commerce hard parts manufacturing brand. So it's, it's been quite the journey. That's really cool. And so from photography and design, how did you know your passion for business and, and e-commerce emerge, I guess? Sure. So um, I had always been really interested in photography and I thought that that's what I wanted to make a career. And I kind of had this like doing really well on paper in like the art world. My CV was becoming very impressive, but I wasn't making any money doing it. And I got to this point, I had this kind of realization where I knew that if I didn't change career paths, it was very likely that I would be this kind of starving artist for many decades. And that was something that I wasn't willing to risk just based on the kind of life I wanted to create for myself. And so I made the bet that like, if I went down the path of business, I'd be able to come back to art eventually and do it on my own terms and not have the pressure of money kind of looming over my head. And so in a very cheesy business way, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. This time I was waiting tables in Los Angeles and exhibiting my art in LA and actually all over the world. And I read this book and was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to start a company. I knew nothing about software, knew nothing about business really outside of having started this nonprofit. So I had this experience and kind of this hustle in fundraising that I had learned and kind of taught myself, but I had never applied it to a for-profit business before. So I'd have to skip through a bunch of this story to jump to getting into e-commerce. But long story short was I moved into my mom's basement, committed not to leave the basement until I'd started the business. I started a software business. We raised venture money from Silicon Valley VCs. That business was acquired a couple of years later. 
And then after a road trip on a motorcycle down through Panama, I decided that I wanted to more closely align what it was that I was doing professionally with my passion for motorcycling, at least for a little while. And so this is kind of the segue into e-commerce for me because I put feelers out there and I really wasn't sure how I would be able to combine my skill set as a you know software entrepreneur with motorcycling. Like they don't really seem to mesh very well. And it turned out that a friend of a friend who had been, has been, continues to be a very successful brick and mortar motorcycle shop owner. He had acquired a motorcycle shop that also had this e-commerce piece to it. And uh, long story short, he didn't want to have anything to do with e-commerce because he's all he knows is brick and mortar. Or that's what he's good at. And I was like, wow, this is a perfect match. So I acquired the digital portion of the business from him and have been running that as one of my companies ever since. Absolutely. That's really cool. I mean, what, what a winding story. So I, I guess if I can focus on, on one aspect of that, and I'm sure you could go into it, but at a high level, like what was it like for you transitioning from the world of software into e-commerce and specifically with, with you know, like a physical product like motorcycle goods? Like what was that like? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I went into it with a set of kind of loosely held expectations, but certain expectations that I thought I wouldn't be wrong about. The first being that, you know, I was like, listen, I've got, I'm coming into this as this pretty high tech, right? Like knowledgeable SaaS entrepreneur. And I'm going to be able to take that skill set and just slay in e-commerce. Like I'm just going to be able to come in and annihilate uh, and do really well. Well, in some respect that was like kind of true it just wasn't easy and i thought it was going to be easy and it and like it was nowhere near easy and i had a lot of skills that didn't transfer over and then i kind of had to relearn as it pertains to e-commerce so and that that goes both for like digital tactics and like growth hacking all the way through to like stuff that really didn't transfer because I had never had experience with it a la inventory management <laughs> and like buying and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I made a bunch of rookie mistakes jumping into it really confidently, for example. So my first month there, I did a couple of things really right and a couple of things really wrong. The stuff that I did really right was to strip everything away. Basically say, let's we're, we're starting from scratch. The the business had been mismanaged previously. They had a bunch of like offline old school ways of doing things. And so I said instead of trying to learn how they were making it work in the past, I'm just going to scrap it and implement new infrastructure across the board. So that was a good decision. Another good decision was saying, you know, like the most important thing I can do right now is focus on customer service and focus on listening to our angry customers rather than just trying to pacify them. I'd say that was probably arguably the most important thing that I've done for the business. And then the one that I totally screwed up was uh, I was like, all right, well, we have a bunch of customers who want inventory to ship the next day. And the only way I know how to do that is to have inventory in stock. And so I plopped down something like $300,000 on inventory in basically one lump sum without enough data to inform it and with, without a strong understanding of the market. And that was something that we've been working our way out from underneath, just having stagnant inventory that we don't need and, and that sort of didn't need since. And we finally remedied that problem. But that was definitely a rookie move that wouldn't have known based on my software experience transitioning into an e-commerce tangible goods Ooh. market. You know, from that first experience, you've actually created more of an e-commerce incubator or accelerator for emerging e-commerce brands called Mattermade. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, and just like loosely how this first experience kind of grew into that, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So Mattermade, like you said, it's an e-commerce incubator for emerging brands. Basically, what that spun out from was I jumped into KTM Twins 
and we 10x our revenue in the first 12, 14 months, right? In going through that process, I was like, wow, I learned a whole crazy new skill set that if I had known this day one, I could have accelerated the growth that much faster and been focusing on all sorts of new ways to grow that much faster. And so having all of that demystified, I've always wanted to play with more tangible goods products and this was an experience in it's a reseller, right? So we're we're not making our own products at KTM Twins. And I've always wanted to make my own product or work with brands that are making their own products and take them from an idea of a physical product to something that arrives on someone's doorstep that they can experience and provide feedback about that experience. I think this is something that people who are software entrepreneurs often yearn for because software is so intangible. And all of us end up sitting down after you know, a successful company. We're like, man, I want to make something that I can hand to someone and have them say, oh, I really like this. Or, oh, this, I don't like the form factor. It doesn't feel good in my hands or whatever, something like that. So Mattermade was basically just a way for me to expand on this knowledge and leverage it across other brands. And so we have a ketogenic dog food brand called Waggle Foods. And then we also have a hard parts manufacturing business that actually manufactures parts for adventure motorcycles, dirt bikes, that sort of a thing. And the portfolio keeps growing. So that's, that's Mattermade in a nutshell. Absolutely. That's really exciting. So you mentioned in there that, you know, you kind of took the experience from KTM Twins, the motorcycle company that, that you acquired, and, and you ended up 10xing revenue in just 12 to 14 months. So can you dive into that a little bit more? Can you tell us like, what were some of the things you did to achieve that kind of rapid growth? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, so the first thing was focus on the customer and like dive into the most painful part of the business, which is seeking out the angriest customers, customers that are the most frustrated and figuring out exactly what it is that they're frustrated about so that that becomes the number one focus and priority of the company. And for us, that that was really key. The next piece was really understanding our niche in the marketplace and leaning into that. So for example, KTM Twins is niche within the motorcycle parts and accessories sector is our wide selection. Other companies have a deeper selection, other companies ship faster, but at the end of the day, there's only one place someone can come and shop from 150 different indie brands that we source from all around the world and know that those parts are in our warehouse in the United States and ready to ship out. And, so, and that was our niche. And so focusing in on finding that clearly, and then from that kernel of knowledge, having that be this piece that can inform all of our other kind of marketing and growth initiatives, that was super key. Because if you start stacking growth activities on top of kind of a confused in software, we call it like product market fit, right? Um, if you don't know your place in the market and you're trying to shout at people to come look at your store, come buy your products, unless you're a, a single SKU product where your place in the market is your product, you're just kind of wasting your voice, right? You're going to go horse before you bring enough people in for it to make sense. I'd say those those were like the first kind of the foundational pieces to that growth. And then from there, it was all tooling, you know, implementing the right apps, working on conversion rate optimization. So that was that was probably after I focused on that kind of initial core that I just described being the focus on angry customers, understanding the niche specifically, then it was a focus on conversion rate optimization because I didn't want to go out and yell again at people and then be like, hey, come to our store in all the different growth hacky ways that we can do that until I knew that when 
someone gets to our site, we would convert them into a buyer at a rate, at a percentage that I was comfortable with. And initially, I mean, we ended up tripling our conversion rate after about two months worth of focused experimenting. And so that was a, that was my next big piece was just this like really relentless micro testing of all of the things until we found a combination that seemed to get us to where we wanted to be. Wow, that's really, that's really incredible. And so kind of going through some of those early challenges that created that growth, which then gave you the idea to kind of build out more of the, the e-commerce incubator and take on new challenges and, and build and make other products, as you described earlier, you started working with some of those other brands that, that you mentioned. So what were some of the biggest challenges, I guess, in then trying to replicate that success in, in different industries with different markets? I'd say that I think the biggest challenge in jumping from category to category and trying to replicate growth is just getting enough time in the mind of your buyer so that, I mean, once you understand it, and this comes back to that, identifying your niche in the market, but like taking that one step further, it's really getting your own head inside of the buyers. You need to be able to think like the buyer thinks. And then all of a sudden, you know where they're hanging out and you know what is going to resonate, or at least you know what you might test to see what you think is going to resonate. So I think the biggest challenge is doing the research and spending enough time so that you can think like your buyer. Because otherwise, you're just throwing a playbook out there, right? You're you're doing you're you're taking certain steps on Facebook around with ads and and you know Google with ads and uh, setting up all of these tools to kind of run for you, but it's kind of wasted effort until you intimately know your buyer. And so I think that the hardest thing is giving yourself the time to get to know your buyer. And coming from a shared, you know, kind of tech background where you talked about product market fit, like, you know, we're used to doing that as, as tech entrepreneurs for somebody who's just diving into e-commerce for, you know, maybe the first time, maybe doesn't have a background in, in trying to get into the, the customer mindset. And when you're building a product, what's it like trying to get in that mindset when you're trying to sell a product? Yeah. So the, I mean, the process to achieve that is, is really just to spend time with your customers and to listen. It's a lot of listening and it's a lot of researching. Like it's one thing to go out on a fact finding mission to go, okay, I know I want to target these people with either ads or content. I'll take Waggle Foods, for example. I could go out and just look, scour the web for all the places where people are talking about either dog food or specifically like healthy raw dog food. Or I could say, I want to find all the places people are talking about ketogenic diets because they probably have dogs too. Like I make my laundry list of all these sites and then I'd say, okay, now I'm going to just pump content out into these channels and treat them all like channels. And that's an example of kind of the wrong way to, to go about it because really what you need to do is go out, find all those places and then spend time in those communities listening to them. Right? How are they talking? What are they talking about? What are their concerns? What are their aspirations? And basically participating as though you're one of them, like become a forum member in these forums and like onboard yourself into the community as though you really were your own customer. Like, you know, I have, if I'm interested in ketogenic dog food, I probably have a dog that either is, you know, obese and unhealthy, or even more likely, if I've already found ketogenic dog food as a solution, my dog probably has some form of cancer. The profile for our buyers right now is they are generally either athletes or bodybuilders, people who are really into the health and fitness scene, because that's where the ketogenic diet kind of has started to grow legs just in a human diet. And so knowing that means that I don't want to go out and target dog owners yet because they're they're going to have no clue what a ketogenic diet is. And then I'm going to have to play this completely different educational content game with them as opposed to low-hanging fruit. If I understand like, okay, the person I really want to target is this athlete and they already have 
heard of a ketogenic diet. In fact, they probably have tried it themselves. They're familiar with the language and then they have this dog and the dog is sick and they're like, wait, I didn't even realize that this was an option and I already understand how this would make sense. Now just connect me with some research to show me that this is like a compelling option for me and a product that could you know, satisfy that. And so by understanding that and going out into those channels, those communities and getting to know that first, then our strategy is completely different and our activities are much more likely to convert. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes makes a ton of sense. As we've as we've talked about some of the different e-commerce specific companies that, that you've gotten involved with, they're all in a very particular niche. How did you end up like was that on purpose? How did you come across it? And is that, I guess, your recommended approach? Um, I mean, I think anytime you can be in a specific niche, it helps just because it's focused, right? I, I can't say that that's the best thing because someone who's found a great fit in a broader market is going to be making a whole lot more money <laughs> because it's that much more broadly. You know, like if I if I could start an e-commerce toothbrush company, I'd be making a lot more money than uh, selling motorcycle parts to adventure enthusiasts. But that's just kind of how it played out for me, mostly because I'm chasing passions, right? So with KTM Twins, I love riding adventure motorcycles and we see this as a mission statement to empower, help empower people to get out into the woods and adventure, giving them the right parts so that their bikes can take them to the right places. With Waggle Foods, I think most of us have had a dog that's died of some sort of illness. And when I realized that the diets that are pets were eating were literally killing them. I was like eating cheeseburgers every day, just just the kibble. I saw this as an opportunity to kind of help right that industry. And so that's my mission there is to like make our animals more healthy. And with the with Factory Forge, the hard parts manufacturing business, again, that goes back to the motorcycle thing, basically the same mission as KTM Twins, just it's its own brand as opposed to reselling other brands. So for me, it's a passion thing. I, I didn't get into e-commerce to make a ton of money. I got into e-commerce to take a break from the grind of software businesses and software startups that, that do tend to make a lot of money and focus on my passions instead. That's kind of what I've been sucked into here. Absolutely. That, that's super exciting. So I guess across that that journey, what have been some of the biggest changes in the e-commerce landscape that, that you've seen since you've started in terms of tactics or approaches or, or just ideas? The scene's constantly evolving, right? And the barrier to entry is just continuously lowering. So with that, there's a ton of opportunity. New people can enter the market, people who may have needed to be much more technically savvy three years ago, two years ago, or even last year, than if they were to go and start a business today on, say, Shopify or something like that. But that barrier is much, much lower. It also means that the noise out there is much greater. So there are that many more shops and people running ads and you know people entering niches and markets. You know, so what's what's next for you and Mattermate? Are you guys planning to do more investments, more companies? Uh, what's what's the future hold, I guess, for you guys? Mattermate's kind of this amorphous project right now where I didn't go into it expecting to have this sort of e-commerce incubator take shape, but that's kind of how it's happened. And now more and more people are reaching out and I'm getting exposure to you know, more and more businesses that believe that with some help, they could take their business to the next level and really fully commercialize or fully realize their vision. And so I'm kind of just trying to keep it that way, like no expectations. And when I find businesses I believe I can help or that I'm personally passionate about, then I jump in and we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. That's really cool. 
So on the topic, I guess, of like running some of these businesses or, or even your personal life, are there any apps or tools that, that you've recently downloaded for inspiration or, or for helping to do stuff or any resources like books, videos, blog posts that, that you keep coming back to that serve a purpose for you and your businesses or, or just the way that you think about business? Yeah, I mean, we have, we have 23 paid apps in our Shopify app store on uh, if I'm thinking about KTM twins right now. So there are tons of apps for sure. Each business is going to be a little bit different as far as what they need. So I don't want to go rattling off e-commerce specific apps. There's a group that's called e-commerce fuel, and it is a private community of e-commerce store owners, six figures and up in revenue. And it is extremely high quality. You have to pay to be a member, but I signed up about a year ago and I haven't looked back since the value that I get out of that community is exceptional. Just a bunch of really, really knowledgeable people that are sharing ideas, gut checking each other's work, even numbers, like we're sharing metrics in there. People who have experience buying e-commerce businesses, selling e-commerce businesses. I mean, it really runs the gamut. So I'd say if there's one resource that has been on a personal level, extremely helpful to me on my along my e-commerce journey, I would definitely say it's e-commerce fuel. Really great community of people. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew does a, a great job with that uh, community. It's, it's really cool to see how that's grown over the years. So we'll make sure that we link to that so other folks can check it out. Cool. So, I mean, we've discussed a bunch of different things throughout the course of the episode. I'd love to know if you have any final thoughts or advice to leave us with, especially for entrepreneurs who are currently trying to build a, you know, an e-commerce based business or looking to jump into it. Just do it <laughs> is the uh, is the slogan of the day, uh, at least in my mind. A, a lot of people talk about starting things or doing things, and very few people actually take the leap. And once you take the leap, it's kind of this, it's like a drug and it's dangerous, kids. So don't, uh, <laughs> you know, no, it's, um, it's really fun. And uh, you'll just want to do more and more of it. Just whatever it is that you're thinking about, try and try it. And I think that, you know, for people who already are doing it and already have a store and they're just looking to level it up, just be relentless about testing. Don't ever accept your conversion rates for what they are. Don't ever accept anything that you're doing can be done better if you're willing to put in the time and measure and test. And so though that would be my kind of parting advice for someone who's already at it and trying to figure out how to make whatever it is that they're doing better. Absolutely. It's a great, a great way to end the episode. Eli, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Thanks for listening. Commerce Growth Lab is recorded and produced by me. There's no massive team behind it. And so I'd love your help in growing the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can find out more about the show our guests, and everything commerce-related by visiting our site at www.commercegrowthlab.com. Follow us on Twitter at ComGrowthLab, that's com with two Ms, or join the community on Facebook at Commerce Growth Lab. We couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so thanks for listening.